Hello, welcome to the Catholic Link podcast, the podcast for busy Catholics. My name is Father Rob Adams. Once again, I am joined by Father George Elliott. Father George, it is great to have you on. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Father. So I feel bad for Father George because this is the first time I've had a guest on the type of podcast wherein I share my thoughts. So we've got our different categories. We've got faith, we've got worship, we've got prayer, and then we have the rest, which is this category. The other bucket. <laughs> the other. Um, but I wanted to talk about something that I, I, I guess I'm going to use a lot of words here, so bear with me. The topic I came up for this podcast was why Gnostics hate gossip. Now that's that's a lot of words. It's a lot of words. Yes. So what's a, what's a Gnostic? All right. So Gnosticism. We know this is one of the first heresies in the early church, right? So Father George, if I had to ask you what a Gnostic was in the early church, uh, what what would be the first things that come to your mind? Wow. So. As you know, I actually got my license in patristics ah. from the Arcanum. And so, like, I can dump for hours on Gnosticism, <laughs> but I'm trying to distill it, right? I actually have this problem that I like studied too much Gnosticism. And so it's all over the place. Um, right. They uh, created these myths that described God and creation and the world. And there were a lot of words, and they didn't really say anything that concrete about the myths. But what was fundamental to really every Gnostic, because there were a lot, a lot of different like types of Gnosticism, is that they had like tiers of human beings, right? They it was either kind of like a top tier and a bottom tier. Or some of them had like three tiers. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, the, the big thing. So side note. Uh, when I was in seminary, we used to hold readings of the Gnostic Gospels in my room. So people like all the Da Vinci Code people were like, oh, my gosh, the church doesn't know about this. Like, no, no, I'm going to call that one out. We not only do I know it, we read it out loud at breakfast in my room. Um, my favorite, my favorite is the story of Metatron and Second Enoch. Yes. Right. Not even one of the Gnostic Gospels, but, you know, Metatron. How cool is that? Exactly. He but, is a transformer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. An angelic transform. By the way, I learned that in Jewish weird mystical circles, they say that Metatron sits on the throne of God and that, or like mm. he takes the throne of God for like a quarter of the day. Well, you know, then, like God's got to take a nap. Yeah, like God needs a break from yeah, exactly. throning. Yes. <laughs> and so like, so when the, when these Jewish rabbis would go on mystical journeys into heaven, Kind of like Ezekiel does, which is why the rabbis are kind of like weirded out about the book of Ezekiel. Um, so the rabbis go on these mystical journeys, but if they go during the time of day when Metatron is on the throne, some of them will see Metatron on the divine throne and say, there's two gods. They trade off. There's two gods. There's there's <laughs> there's the Lord and then there's Metatron. And this is like one of the earliest Jewish heresies of, of the the two two gods wild but side note the basic idea with gnosticism comes from the word gnosis right in greek which means knowledge mm. and so all of these groups with with all their crazy myths and stories and hierarchies and, and all this stuff what they're essentially saying is the thing that saves you is knowledge secret mm. knowledge so we can still see this today in things like scientology 
right? Like that, that knowledge and, and secret information makes you a better person than the rest. Mm -hmm. So I don't actually mean that we're talking about literal Gnostics from the old days. But one of the things I've seen in the church today, particularly since I would, it's not recent, it's not only recent, I think it's probably been the last 50 to 60 years. There's been this tendency in the church where we build these cathedrals of words, right? So mm. I, one of my favorite things was when I was finishing up my license in Rome, I got my license in liturgy. So I didn't, I didn't deal with some of the same fights as you, Father George, but I remember reading like German theologians. And they would say things that were like, <laughs> I read this, I'm like, man, I am not qualified, but this sure doesn't look like Christianity to me. Mm -hmm. And then they would say, oh, no, 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 you don't understand the nuance of the German word fur. <laughs> and so like, side note, I actually learned German so that I could like fight that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. Um, but I, I think the fundamental idea is it's it's very elitist. It's very elitist in the same way that the Gnostics from long ago were elitist, that we have this super subtle, very, very delicate, very uh, intellectual faith that everybody else, including most priests, aren't possibly able to understand. Mm. So I find like uh, sometimes sometimes I'll run into things like on, on Catholic news of like a diocese doing something that's like, not in accord with with the faith you know so i'm thinking of we have some places that have uh you know lgbt ministries which on their own fine like those people need god too absolutely everybody needs god but some yeah. of these ministries go beyond trying to help and go towards supporting like a, a cause or as francis said mm -hmm. in, in an interview he gave yesterday individuals are always welcome organizations not um and mm -hmm. i think i think that uh when when these organ when these these particular kinds of programs, I'm not just LGBT, but like lots of them, right? You see yeah. it with with the way that we run priest councils or the things that are taught in uh, in various parishes. Whenever someone calls them out and says, "Hey, I don't think that's right," it doesn't mean that the criticism is necessarily true. The person might be mistaken, but what I think is interesting is that. If your if your words, if your teaching, if your actions are so convoluted and complex for them to be like correct, we might have a problem. Yeah, I kind of like the, the, there's a obviously reality is complex, but also there's a simplicity to it. Mm -hmm. And if it can't be distilled into a fairly simple statement, much like I mean dogmatic statements, right? They're they're usually a sentence or two. Sure. Um, right. And like, maybe, maybe you're just making stuff up. Or yeah. Like maybe, maybe like you might be using a lot of words to sort of cover up something that is there. So I think mm. uh, one of my favorite books, I know it's not for everybody, so I wouldn't, I won't give it a full recommendation, but okay. if you, if you like this kind of book, I think it is really good. Um, it's by Walker Percy and it's called love in the ruins. Yes. It's <laughs> a weird um, one. Uh, I would give a, it, it is definitely rated at least PG-13, if not more. Yeah. Well, by the way, that book made me develop a uh, an appreciation for early times cheap whiskey uh, because the main character is an alcoholic. Yes. And 
I bought a bottle of early times just because I wanted to see what it was like. And I quoted him as I took, I, I tried it. And I said, ah, the early times wasn't going down well today because it's disgusting. <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, I didn't make it through that book. Uh, it didn't make it to the end. <laughs> oh, it's, it, but the, the fundamental theme of the book is really cool. And it's that the guy comes up with this magic helmet. Mm-hmm. And the magic helmet can diagnose whether a person struggles with angelism or animalism. So he's based off the the Thomistic notion of the soul, right? That that a human being is a rational animal. So he says that when sin affects a person, we like to go towards one side of that divide. Hmm. So Percy Percy breaks up the church, American society, politics, everything along this line. It's great. So he says that conservatives struggle with animalism, that they tend to skew more towards the animal side. So by that he means very straightforward right? Very, uh, the motives is what it looks like. There's no subtlety to it. He said a lot of them are fat and he says that they struggle. He says a lot of them struggle with constipation because they can't let anything go. Right. Mm. And then he said, but the other side is, is the, it's called angelism. And he said, this is more, uh, focusing on kind of ideas words to justify yourself you can't possibly understand me this isn't sin it's art that kind of thing and he says that we have this is more where liberals tend to skew towards um it's people they lose sort of a grip on reality because they're so high up in the clouds and he says it's kind of gross but he says they struggle with diarrhea because they can't hold on to anything and his magic helmet diagnoses you which side of the spectrum you fall on and it corrects it so that you're in the middle where God wants you to be. Oh, does it like zap you to, to correct it or like it's I, got chemicals and it's a magical helmet. It does whatever it wants. Yeah, it does what Walker Percy wants it okay. to do. Okay. Incidentally, incidentally, the Catholic Church is in the middle of this debate, and there's a split. The Catholic Church goes into three factions. There's the real Catholic Church in the middle. There's the liberal Catholic Church, which does all the things you think it does, and it falls on uh-huh. the left side. And then there's the American Catholic Church, which is on the right, and they develop such holy days as Private Property Sunday, um, and they play the national anthem at the elevations. <laughs> but uh, but I say this, right, because I think there is a certain angelism in the church today. There's a certain sense of, like, losing a grip with reality and it's not just like the angry Thomas, like everybody thinks it is, right? They think it's like these seminarians in their in their bedrooms talking about theology and their lacy robes. But I actually find that there's a lot of, of teaching offices in the church that are kind of struggling with this, right? Um, and I, I don't, I'm not just blaming the current situation. I mean, look, even someone I like, John Paul II, his encyclicals are like 70 pages long. Oh, Yeah get to a a period please (laughs) yeah like let's get let's see where this is going so what what are these what happens when people ask a question right let's let's imagine a situation where someone's being respectful they're being humble they're not coming and saying well you're a heretic right what happens when someone asks a question i know from experience that i from from hearing a lot of people uh there's a lot of anger when 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 these pastors and things are are questioned and one of the main charges they make is that people are gossiping, right? That uh, there's a lot of gossip going around in the church today. 
And I kind of wonder if what they mean by gossip is sort of somebody peeling back the layer. Hmm. Saying like, what's actually through all these words? Yeah. Like, or, or maybe even more simply kind of saying, I think you mean this. Mm. So more like trying to pin them down to an actual interpretation of all the words they said. Yeah. And I know, I know that's not fun for me either. Right. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, I was, I, I like making donuts. I like, I make all kinds of fun stuff just because I live by myself and I'm crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I was talking to my buddies and he's, he's a big dude. He, he has proclaimed himself as a fat. Uh, that's his okay. words, a fat. Exactly. And I was making donuts and I sent him pictures and he said, he said, you know, you're a fat at heart. <laughs> and I thought at first I was like, no, nah, man, like I just, I just like donuts, you know, like I just, and, and, and part of me wanted to kind of fight back a little bit. And obviously what you saying was, it wasn't totally nuanced or, or whatever, but like, you know, sometimes when someone puts a name to what we're doing, it's, it's uncomfortable. Mm. And I don't, I don't blame anybody for getting uncomfortable when that happens to them. Yeah. But what I think needs to happen is there also needs to be a certain acceptance of at least what people think. You know, imagine, imagine a priest who's, who's always going out to dinner with a woman or heck nowadays with a guy, you never know, but yeah. And people start to think and they say, oh, well, they must be in some kind of relationship. Is that the kindest thing to think? No. Should they spread that? No. But let's imagine a case where someone privately approaches that priest and says like, hey, father, you know, it sure does look bad. Mm -hmm. What do you think that priest should do? Thank you for telling me. I will now change. <laughs> right. What happens instead, though? Yeah. <laughs> oh, how dare you? This is gossip. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So where I'm going with this is I think if we want our church to be fruitful in its evangelization, we have to learn how to get our, our magic helmet balanced again. <laughs> we don't have to go down, like just because we're struggling with angelism, it doesn't mean that we have to become animalists. It doesn't mean we have to reduce everything to the most simplistic and base read on things, right? So like I've heard people say things like, well, you know, teenagers probably none of them should receive communion because they're all doing things they shouldn't do. You're like, that might be true, but I can't live that way. Mm -hmm. I have to leave some room for the possibility of mercy and truth, right? right? But on the same token, I can't look at somebody who's living in sin and be like, well, I don't know that. Like, yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's actually it's, it's on their mail. <laughs> right. So I kind of think, I kind of think if we want our church to be fruitful in its missionary efforts, one of the things we need to do is learn to get over Gnosticism. We need to mm -hmm. learn to get past it. And we need to stop getting angry when people ask questions. Now they need to ask them humbly, politely, and sometimes even privately. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's 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 not new. That goes back to the gospel. Right. One-on-one, -on -one, right? Right. And I think some of these, some, there are some Catholic outlets that, uh, I think they push a little too hard. You know, they call bishops, uh, they'll call them heretics. They'll, they'll say, oh, they're supporting child abusers and all this stuff. And you're like, well, be really careful before you say that. 
And one of the things I always try to remind myself um, is actually a great line in the Quran. Never thought I would quote the Quran. <laughs> great line in the Quran uh, where the prophet tells, tells people to be careful in accusing a brother of anything. Because when you accuse someone of someone, you should be willing to take the punishment for that sin on your own self if you're wrong. Hmm. And I think there's some truth there, right? Before we call somebody a heretic, before we say, oh, well, you're a Gnostic, be careful, because I sure wouldn't want to be called an animalist, right? Yeah. Like, I, I need to be careful before I uh, point a finger at somebody, because I should realize there are four fingers pointing back at me. Yeah, to say it very simply, that's one thing that I really enjoyed um, when we were studying it at the Augustinianum is they were very, um, very academic in the sense of like, if, Hey, if you don't have evidence, you can't say something. So you can't make an academic claim, mm -hmm. right? Like you need sufficient evidence and all evidence needs to be looked at to make sure that you don't have contradicting evidence, um, before you actually make a claim. And I, I found that that just that mentality was actually a very just mentality. And you could, you know, that applied to what other thinkers thought. That's what that applies to, you know, obviously what the fathers of the church thought that, you know, applies to really everything. Yep. Uh, and it seems that, you know, a, a real rigorous thought process is, is a good thing, but perhaps what's happening is that so many intellectuals to bring it all the way back, you know, to the kind of Gnostic concept um, actually have, have let go of real academic principles. Mm-hmm. And we've we've started quoting each other in this great like unanchored bubble, right? Where yeah. we all just cite each other forever and ever. Um, but I do think I do think you know even based off what you just said, we have to be really careful with the evidence and and making sure that it's there. But it also means we don't have to close our eyes when it is there. Right. Exactly. You just say what what it says, you know, and don't go beyond it. But I think instead, what's what a lot of people are being. Uh, it, I don't want to say persecuted because that's a mean word, but they're being smacked for pointing out pieces of evidence that they found, right? Like it sure does look like this program, this teacher, this institution is doing or teaching something that's not Catholic. And instead what we're told is, well, they're gossiping. Maybe if they just shut their mouth, this wouldn't be a thing. And you say, well, I think that that's actually a, in, in the business world, we'd call that like brand controlling. But, but in, in, in the church, it's about charity, right? When, when your brother sins, tell him in private. So. Yeah. And I think a real, just as you're saying that too, there's a, there's something to Jesus Christ is the truth. And if we really want to pursue the truth in every, um, every place that we can encounter it, then we will only say what we can be certain of based on the evidence um, and we will say everything that we can say based on the evidence, right? Obviously, like you said, never abandoning charity, but making sure that we are pursuing the truth, who is Jesus Christ. Exactly. And what a great way to finish up. <laughs> great. That's, you could, I couldn't do it better myself. That's awesome. That's oh, awesome. Team. High five. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thanks, Father George. I, I just, I think that these, these kind of other, you know, just thoughts I think that these episodes are kind of cool because they they I think they air out some things that a lot of people might be might be thinking. And I just want to try to give people some tools to be able to express yourself or to if you already think this way, maybe some tools to act as prudently as possible. 
Um, because I know there's some stuff out there that just essentially they want to burn the whole thing down. And that's certainly not what we're called to. So I hope that I hope this is helpful and I hope that it gives you something to think about and maybe to to pray about uh, um, what you need to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I think even I'll sit and think a little bit about, you know, <laughs> which way would the helmet push push me if I put it on? Right? Oh, yeah. So it's good to check ourselves. Yeah. Oh, I love the helmet. I love the helmet. Just as long as as long as I don't have to play the uh, national anthem during my during the consecration. That's right. On private property Sunday. Yes. Um, but anyway, this has been the Catholic League podcast, the podcast for busy Catholics. If you enjoy this sort of thing, I invite you to head on over to our website, catholiclink.org, where you can find all of our previous materials, as well as lots of other good ways to deepen your faith. In particular, I want to plug our small group initiative that we're getting started. You can find all the details over there on our website at catholiclink.org. Until next time, my name is Father Rob Adams. Thank you for listening, and God bless you.